Welcome to the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast with your hosts, Matthew Betts and Matt Okada. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, grab a seat. Come hang out with the Mats. We got Matt Okada and Matthew Betts here with another episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. We are back with episode number 52. And Okada, it feels like Christmas. I don't know about you, but I am very excited for the start of May and June because we have a fantastic list of guests lined up. And we are going to kick it off with another great one tonight. Um, before we get to him, go ahead and uh, just fill our listeners in on what's new with you and how you're doing and all that good stuff. Um, well, things are busy, as always. Even in the uh, offseason, the NFL Network is out of control busy. And uh, now I'm doing this thing called the Scouting Academy, which is very fun, but also very hard, uh, where basically I'm learning how to scout as best as possible. So yeah, that's pretty much it. It's like you're back in school, right? Totally. But football but a, school. But a g- and- more fun school, yes. yes. <laughs> I'm not learning about anatomy and physics and whatever else we learned in high school. Exactly. Like I said, we've got a great show planned for y'all tonight, and we have a very special guest with us, one that we've been very excited to sit down and talk to since last season. This is our first repeat guest on the Red Shirts pod here, Mr. Heath Cummings of CBS. Heath, how are you doing tonight? I am more interested in this whole back to school thing. We can forget about football. I want to talk. Like, are, are you going to like keggers and stuff? Is it like a Rodney Dangerfield situation or what's uh, going on? Definitely not, considering the course is entirely online. So it happens in my bedroom at my desk and with no one else to party with. That's, was it, is that similar to your previous uh, schooling experience? Yes. Yep, that's exactly the same as my previous schooling experience. Okada's Friday nights were. <laughs> fun we'll say that yep yep (laughs) oh man so heath um for our listeners who aren't familiar with you with you yet and they should be um go ahead and give us a little bit of a a background about kind of what your work entails what you do for cbs fantasy um and also just give us a rundown on kind of how you got into the fantasy industry and working for cbs yeah so uh i about eight years ago, I guess it was now, maybe maybe nine or ten years ago, actually got into the industry because of Twitter. So there was one good thing that happened because of Twitter in my life. Wow. All the rest of us have been pretty much terrible. But uh, I saw a posting from Sigmund Bloom, and I, I had been blogging for like ten years. I, I went to school originally to be a journalist and instead majored in beer and gambling and didn't last very long. <laughs> Unlike Okada. <laughs> Had to get a uh, re- real job and just blogged and wrote stuff at night. And then Sigmund Bloom put out a post for like a game recapper. I think back then they were paying 15 or 20 bucks a game just to recap what happened. And uh, so I started doing that on Sundays and then got a full-time staff or a staff position there. It wasn't quite full-time. I was still selling, peddling various financial products at the time and like four (laughs) years ago cbs had a job opening i applied and uh, for some reason they picked me i've been there for just a little over four years now i do fantasy baseball and fantasy football uh podcasts video shows articles you name it uh they keep me busy 
Yeah, and, and with fantasy baseball, I'm sure this time of year you've got to be swamped. I hate life. <laughs> yeah. Um, we, I, like, I'm still at the point where I'm heavily involved in baseball season. We get to like the all-star break, and I start to disappear. It's like the Back to the Future where uh, he, he thinks his mom and dad aren't going to get together, and like he's playing the guitar, and like half of him's gone, and then by July yep. I'm just gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you very much for taking some time out of your very, very busy and uh, hectic lifestyle to sit down with us and chat some football. We are very excited. Uh, we're going to go ahead and get into some of the news here. Okada, go ahead and kick us off. I got great news, guys. Oh, news. Hey, news, 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 All right. So there's not there's not much news because it's May. You know, barely. It's barely May. Almost June. Uh, but a couple little tiny things. So the Saints signed Buck Allen, or Javorius Allen, if you want to call him that. Uh, we don't exactly know the details yet. And I don't really know if we're too interested. Are either of you interested at all in this signing? Well, I mean, we all know the joy of the Buck Allen fullback dive from the mm. one-yard line after another <laughs> running back has taken the ball 90 yards down the field. <laughs> we know it well. <laughs> and we all know that Sean Payton just absolutely loves using fantasy-irrelevant players to score touchdowns or in big moments. So, no, I'm not interested in Buck Allen. Um, I feel like puking. <laughs> I don't like where this is going for uh, Alvin Kamara. It shouldn't matter. It probably won't matter too much. Like every time I've ever doubted the efficiency of what Kamara does, he just does it in like in some other way that's completely unsustainable. So I expect he'll be awesome in some way this year. Sounds about right. Uh, all right. And then the other little tiny bit of interesting news we got some coach speak to break down because who doesn't love breaking down coach speak in May? Uh, the Lions offensive coordinator Daryl Bevel says that the team wants to be tough and hard-nosed and will always be about the run. So does this mean anything for On Johnson? Do we think he's a potential breakout? Bets, what do you think? They are about that life. They're about that run life. Yeah. Um, yeah, coach speak. But in all honesty, I did go back and look at what Daryl Bevel has done in his time as the offensive coordinator dating back to 2006 which that was with the Vikings until 2010, and then was with the Seahawks from 11 until 2017. And over the course of you know all of those seasons, from 20, 2006 to 2017, the teams that he has been managing as the OC have put up an average of 474 rush attempts per season, which you know is, is quite high. And when you look at what that would have been last season, uh, that would have been fourth in the league. So this is one that I, I kind of buy into and I hope is correct for carry on Johnson because I think that you know if if the team does go very heavily leading on the run um, I'm going to be very excited about carrying Johnson I think this is a, a definite downgrade obviously for Matt Stafford given that the past five six years he's been slinging the ball all over the place um, but with this coach speak and with this kind of news you have to wonder okay are they going to go now straight to the run game and make the passing game more of the secondary option Heath, are the Lions capable of sustaining a run game of this magnitude with this the overall team talent, do you think? I don't, really. I, th I think they want to. I, I believe the coach speak and the intention. 
I mm-hmm. question the team's talent level, and like it's possible that down three scores in the third quarter, they're still going to be running the football, and it's possible that they'll just give most of those touches to carry on Johnson. That's what I hope happens. I love him, but um, yeah, I, I'm skeptical. Yeah, I kind of fall on that side too. Uh, so we'll see what they can do. But all right, we got a couple little bits of injury stuff to talk about. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. Bets? <laughs> Is that my go? My go? Uh... <laughs> Green what do you got go for us, Bets? Right. Usually, usually Kent gives me a little intro. You just say go. <laughs> nope, bets. nope. The people know what, what they're going to hear. Absolutely. So, you know, the first injury news here, Dante Foreman says he's feeling healthy coming into 2018 and is playing with a chip on his shoulder this season. Um, not sure that's really injury news, but when you consider Dante Foreman and him coming off of that Achilles repair from two seasons ago... Um, People might get excited about this, and I am the Debbie Downer of this kind of stuff, and I'm going to tell you not to be. Um, Unfortunately, the reality is with these Achilles injuries in running backs, even multiple years after the surgery, performance is still well below what it was pre-injury level. So it's great that he's playing with confidence and feeling healthy and playing with a chip on his shoulder, but if we go off of the statistics and what the data has shown for years, um, it's still going to be the Lamar Miller show in that Texans backfield. Yeah, I, I do think that it's possible we're approaching or maybe have just reached uh, enough medical advances to where players more regularly will come back from this injury, but I haven't seen enough evidence of it yet to where I'm going to buy into it. I'm going to need to see him look like the player he was before the injury before I buy it. Yeah, and I think that that's probably the correct approach for fantasy owners. That's that's what they should be doing this season. Um, Foreman looked good before going down with injury a couple of years ago, but you know, like we've talked about multiple times on this show, you know, it, it is very tough for those running backs to get back out there uh, and be effective. The next thing we're going to talk about here is Trey Burton, uh, the Bears tight end, is going to miss the rest of OTAs due to a sports hernia surgery. Um, there's been several of those going around the NFL in terms of players dealing with similar recoveries, um, guys like Devonta Freeman, um, guys like Geronimo Allison from last year. Those injuries usually take about eight weeks to ten weeks for a recovery. Um, so when you're looking at the, the calendar here, obviously it's the end of May. Training camp's coming around start of August or late uh, late July. Trey Burton should be good to go for those for those days and, and be re- ready well ahead of week one. For me, this is not really much of a concern at all. Agreed. The, yeah, that's definitely good to hear. I am curious. Let, I mean, I'll ask Keith. What do you think Burton kind of takes a step forward this year that we I think we all kind of hoped for last year? Or is just what we were hoping to see with the quote-unquote Kelsey role in this offense never going to pan out for him? You know, it's weird because it was disappointing based on what some people had hoped for. Although I think he was probably by ADP somewhere between the number six and the number eight tight end off the board at the beginning of last year. And I'm pretty sure he finished number six in non-PPR and number eight in PPR. It's just a terrible, awful position. But I do think the way this offense was set up, it's a little bit like the Rams 
on a a smaller level, of course, but they spread things around so often. I remember looking at like in week eleven or week twelve last year. They had like no player had led the team in targets more than two weeks in a row. They wow. just there was no consistency in the way the targets were being spread around, and at the end of the year, they were all all ended up pretty close to each other. So I just I don't think the Travis Kelsey role, at least in the offense we saw last year, is available because they're going to throw the ball to so many guys. Uh, all right, so that that's that's the end of the not so interesting news stuff. So let's hop into the much much more interesting stuff. We're going to start it off with a review of Heath Cummings' rankings. He just finished his projections, full projections, pretty much for every team. Is that correct? Uh, full project. Well. Yes, to a certain extent. Most teams I've got projected about 90 to 95% of their offense. I don't find a lot of value in projecting the last 15 targets, uh, especially, <laughs> in May, especially in May. But yeah, about, about 90 to 95% of each team. I can imagine that would drive you absolutely crazy if this was like well, for every yeah, single I mean, team, it, you know? Th- like there are a few teams where I'll end up around 99%, but it's just... You're going to be wrong on the, at the bottom there, and most of those guys don't matter. And maybe you project someone for 30 targets that actually somebody gets hurt and they end up with 100, and you look even sillier. So yeah. I don't know if there's a whole lot of value in it. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. Well, let's let's nail on, nail down a couple players here, and we'll we'll throw them over to you, Heath, because they kind of come in at your in your rankings at an interesting spot relative to let's say consensus or ADP at this point, and you kind of give us an idea of where they project and why they end up there in your ranking. So one that stands out at the quarterback position is Ben Roethlisberger, who, despite finishing very high last year, I think QB three in most scoring formats. Uh, is outside QB1 range in generally in the consensus and ADP at this point. But you have him standing strong at QB7. So not, I guess, fearing too much the loss of AB. Yeah, and I think it's always worth saying when it comes to quarterback rankings. I mean, QB7 and QB14 are separated by about five fantasy points <laughs> in my rankings. And my yep. rankings are based on six point per pass touchdown leagues because that's what CBS sports is. So if it was sure. a four point per pass touchdown, he might, he might fight fall a couple of spots. Um, but I still do still think that even without Antonio Brown, this is going to be a high volume pass attack because Ben Roethlisberger is essentially the offensive coordinator. And especially when they get into the red zone, I, I expect him to be looking for his touchdown. So I've got him projected for about 4,600 yards and 30 touchdowns. Not bad, not bad. Uh, Bets, we uh, we've we've hated on Big Ben quite a lot. Um, do you care to to argue with Heath <laughs> on this? Yeah, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna tell Heath why I was wrong. No, I'm just kidding. Um, right. I I mean <laughs> I agree 100 percent with what Heath was saying by you know quarterback seven to I think we even said Okada on our quarterback ranking preview like to 20 it was like yep. yeah I'll take any of those guys honestly so for me this just speaks volumes to wait on quarterback in your draft and don't look back um, I think I've got Big Ben somewhere around quarterback 18 or 19 don't quote me on that for the season so I'm definitely down on him uh, relative to where he's been throughout his career I think the loss of AB is huge and, and we've talked about it a little bit with the game splits between when he when he has had Antonio Brown and when he hasn't had him, and he averages about four points less per game uh, in those games without AB. So um, I think that's definitely something to to factor in and consider. 
it's a new it's a new offense, you know, without AB. So there isn't a lot to go on, and, and I think that that definitely brings him down in my rankings. And when I'm drafting a quarterback, um, I want to get someone that I'm confident in starting week one and, and moving forward for a couple of weeks. So I'm not saying I wouldn't play a Big Ben in my lineup. I definitely would in some weeks. I just don't think that I can lock him in as an every-week starter going into the season like I could have last year. And, and I think what it'll come down to probably is the volume because, I mean, last year he threw 675 pass attempts, led the NFL. I've dropped him down to 641. That's still a ton. Mm-hmm. But again, I kind of like that's what he wants to do. And I do feel like he has as much control over his offense as any quarterback in the league. And then when you look at yards per attempt, his lowest total in the last five years is 7.5. I downgraded him because of no AB and put him at 7.4 which is about a half a yard lower than his career mark. Um, he he could completely fall on his face, and he could definitely just miss time as he has three of the last four years. But I just, I, I'm, like you said, anybody in that 7 to 14 range, just pick your favorite guy. 100%. All right, the next, the next place we'll stop at is the 49ers backfield because – it's for sure one of the most interesting to kind of try to dissect, especially from a projection standpoint, but just from an overall fantasy draft standpoint. So you're looking at Tevin Coleman and Jarek McKinnon for now as the two guys we, for the most part, think will lead this backfield or will vie for the lead role. Keith, you have Coleman at RB28, McKinnon at RB39 in PPR, which is... I mean, looking at it, I think means you kind of think neither guy will take a clear lead role. Is that kind of correct? No, I don't think they have any intention of having anyone take a lead role. And I'm afraid, like, I would actually probably rank both guys a little bit higher if I felt comfortable that they were going to combine for 90% of the team's touches at running backs. But it's not like they're the only two guys there either. So I, I really think they want to spread the ball around at running back. They don't have someone that I feel like profiles as a 300 touchback. And they saw how devastated this team was by injuries at running backs last year. So I, I've i conservatively got Coleman projected for 223 touches, McKinnon at 182. Yeah, and I think any that... go, go ahead, Okada. Well, I was just going to ask, any particular reason for Coleman over McKinnon? Or what are your reasons? Well, Coleman's not coming off a significant injury. Definitely and true. they went out and acquired Coleman this year when McKinnon was already on the roster. And, I mean, Coleman's obviously had the experience with Shanahan. I, I just wonder if – I had doubts last summer whether McKinnon was a feature back. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if the injury put those same doubts in their head. Yeah, and, and what I was going to say, you know, right before that is just kind of looking at these two backs. You know, I think the fantasy – community wants to pick one guy but I mean Heath you said it there they both are not they're not that back they're both not a feature back and I think that it would be smart of the 49ers knowing all their injury histories including Matt Breda to split the work up between all those guys I mean this system is going to be fantastic for whoever is in there as a running back and and Okada we talked about it a little bit last week you know I want I want one of these guys on my roster just in case someone does emerge and I get lucky and have the guy. Um, so I think going into drafts for me, I'm going to be looking at their ADPs and kind kind of trying to target whichever guy falls, which at this point is Matt Breda going much, much later than these two guys. Um, but, mm. you know, come come August and, and come September, 
Um, that's definitely going to be my strategy personally. I don't know about you guys. Well, and, and I think that's one of the other problems. Like the Brita thing, I think is smart, especially if you can get him in the double digit rounds, which you should be able to pretty easily. But the problem with McKinnon and Coleman's related to that. If Jarek McKinnon suffers an injury in week one and misses six weeks, I don't think that turns Tevin Coleman into a 20-25 touch a game back. It just means that Matt Breed is going to take a chunk of the work. I don't see a situation where one guy turns into a feature back, and that could be totally wrong, but that's just my expectation. Yeah. It's certainly sad, <laughs> I think, for fantasy owners to hear that because if one guy got this job with Shanahan, you're talking about potentially an RB1. Yeah. Very likely. But... Yeah, if they split it like this, which I think is probably the most likely scenario, it's it's certainly going to look more like what you've got it ranked out at. So, all right, let's go to another backfield that's kind of murky, but you don't have this one ranked as murkily, if that's a word, <laughs> which it's probably not. <laughs> it is now. Uh, the Buccaneers. <laughs> the Tampa Bay Buccaneers did little to nothing. Technically, I think they got an undrafted guy to shore up their running back position. Uh, so you have Peyton Barber, though, within, in the... I guess you could call it the lead spot coming in at RB 31 Ronald Jones, not even in your top 60 PPR running backs. It's very disinterested, I guess, in Ronald Jones. So what, how does this break down for you? And the Tampa Bay projections were a, uh, a team that I did before the last week's worth of positive comments about Ronald Jones came out. Mm. I, I probably need to boost him up a little bit. He was absolutely awful last year, and they really like Peyton Barber, and at least the way he approaches the position. It's possible that Ronald Jones, some of that rubs off on him, and he doesn't run scared this year, and I do think that he has more upside. But the other thing is I really like the undrafted free agents that you ref referenced, Bruce Anderson. I think mm -hmm. he has a lot of chops in the passing game, Jones showed almost no ability to catch the ball in camp preseason or the regular season last year. And I, I'm just, I, I think this is obviously a make or break year for Ronald Jones. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. I mean, last year when Kent Okada and I were talking about this backfield situation, I was very vocal in saying I do not believe in Ronald Jones at all. When you look at what he <laughs> even did in college, I mean, he was getting subbed out for a freshman on third down. So, you know, we, we hear it all the time. These guys can't catch in college and they come into the NFL and they catch the football. He could legitimately cannot catch the football. And that's huge. And he can't block. Say that again. And he can't block. And he can't block, which is which is big time for getting on the field on third down. So that really limits him when it comes to fantasy, especially in today's game where I think most of us are playing in some sort of PPR format. Um, so, yeah, I agree. For me, if Ronald Jones is somehow named the starter, I'm still staying away, staying far, far away from, from Jones and actually going to be scooping up one of the other backs as a end of the roster stash just in case things don't work out for Jones, which if we've seen anything from his first year in the NFL is quite likely. And, and with all the baseball I've got going on, I, I haven't participated in a lot of mock drafts or done a lot of best ball yet, but from everything I've seen, it looks like Jones is going significantly ahead of Peyton Barber. Yeah, and I yeah, like, I don't I I'm not clairvoyant. I don't. It's possible that Jones takes that job in training camp, but as of today, Peyton Barber is the starting running back for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He also was not that bad last year with a dirt cutter who cannot seem to do anything with running backs and an offense that was very up and down and really mainly just wanted to pass the ball like crazy. 
So, and he certainly also, I would say, seems to profile more along the lines of what Bruce Arians would look for. And you guys just talked about it in general with the way the league is going with someone who can catch passes and block on passing plays. And with Rojo being able to do neither and Peyton Barber being adequate in both, I think there's a better chance that he gets a lot more of the snaps. And I think that the offense is going to be pretty good this year. So I might even... I don't know if I can say I'd put Barber above RB31 where you have him, but I definitely agree that he's the guy who should be going over Rojo, and that's not the way drafts are going, so it's interesting. Uh, All right, a couple wide receivers, and then we'll head on to the next segment. So these guys are a little bit later in most people's drafts, but you've actually got them near or in the wide receiver two range. We'll start with D.D. Westbrook of the Jaguars coming in at wide receiver 22. (laughs) spicy what is going on there (laughs) I actually think this Jacksonville offense is going to go more pass heavy in 2019 and the reason I think that's a couple of things one they brought in Nick Foles who is capable of throwing a forward pass (laughs) two they they went and got a new offensive coordinator who got fired last year in the middle of a season from a team that was in playoff contention essentially because his coach wanted to run the ball more and he just flat out refused. Like they were they were so pass heavy the first 3 quarters of the season. And Zimmer basically came out and just said we we've, we've got to run the ball more. They ran the ball like 55% of the time in the last 4 games and still didn't make the playoffs. But then Jacksonville knowing that this guy wants to throw so much and lost his job because he refused to run the ball goes out and hires him as offensive coordinator. I don't think that they want to be that run heavy this year. And as of right now, and I, I, I will wait. I, this could be Marquise Lee. But I do think there will be a borderline wide receiver two on the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. Just for context, by the way, if, based off Fantasy Pros ADP, which is kind of one of the better ones we have. We don't have the greatest of ADPs right now in general, but it's a conglomerate ADP. So I'll go with that. Westbrook is 46th. So this is well ahead of that point. What's the rough round area that you'd be willing to grab him, do you think? Um, I don't think there's any reason to take him before round eight. Because I don't think anybody else is going to take him before round eight. I, I'd i want to know my draft room. Um, that's the earliest I would probably use a pick on him. But I, you can probably wait till round nine or round ten in most drafts. Yeah, and I think at that point... I mean, you're shooting for, personally, this is how I draft. I'm shooting for upside in those later rounds because I've kind of got my my studs locked in in the first seven, eight, nine rounds. So um, I definitely don't mind that call, especially given that, like you said, someone is going to merge. You, you brought up Marquise Lee, so I'll just touch on it here from an injury perspective. He suffered a gruesome injury last, last year, getting tackled and tearing the ACL and also suffering additional damage inside his knee joint. And so... That definitely complicates things coming back from that injury. We know that usually the first month or two back on the field after that ACL tear is less productive in the grand scheme of things in the vast majority of cases. So um, don't be surprised with a slow start from Marquise Lee. And that definitely leaves the door wide open for DD to establish himself as the team's uh, go-to option. Yeah, I set up the uh, the question with a, a tone of consternation, I guess. But I am low-key a pretty big D.D. Westbrook believer. I have been since that first rookie preseason where he was just blazing out there. Um, so I'm a fan of this. It's certainly a high ranking, but I think that someone's going to 
be in the close to the wide receiver two range on that team, and he'd be my pick. Uh, and then one other guy, he comes in at wide receiver 27 for you, so just outside that range. And this guy definitely has a wide receiver one on his team that is not him. It's Tyrell Williams, now on the Raiders. Just outside your wide receiver two range, he's going well past that in draft, somewhere in the 50s uh, as far as wide receiver. What's your uh, What's your feeling on this? Well, the Raiders did not throw the ball to their wide receivers very much because they had Jared Cook on the team last year, but they have the most wide receiver opportunities available this year with 228, and they have the most tight end opportunities available because Jared Cook's gone as well, so there are just a ton of targets up for grabs in this offense. I don't believe they signed a tight end or drafted a tight end that's going to contribute significantly this year, so I think there's a situation where Antonio Brown can still get his 140, 150 targets, 160 targets, and there's still plenty left there for Tyrell Williams. The big question's going to be whether they can convince Derek Carr to hold onto the ball for more than three seconds. If they can, <laughs> I think Williams could have a very good year with all the coverage that Brown's going to draw. And I know they drafted a running back as well, but I don't think this defense is good enough for them to be anything other than a very pass-heavy offense. Yeah, I, I definitely agree on pretty much all of those points. I actually quickly dove into AB on the Steelers and what they've gotten out of their wide receiver too. So I threw away Juju's year because he's another level and I don't think we can compare Tyrell to him. But the previous five years with AB as the wide receiver one, their wide receiver two got around a 17% target share, which if you apply that to the Raiders, roughly 550 targets that they've been around over the past couple of years, that's something like 95 to 100 targets for Tyrell Williams. And with his ability to get downfield with those targets, assuming, like you said, that Derek Carr is willing to hold on for two-plus seconds and throw it there, he can turn 95 to 100 targets into wide receiver three production easily, um, which is where you have him falling and well above where he's going in drafts. So I like it. Bets, any thoughts? I'm still shook over Heath's first sentence there a couple minutes ago talking about how Jared Cook was the top option for an offense. Like, how? How is that happening? How is that happening True. in the NFL? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was it was terrible last year uh, for Oakland from the receiving core. And Derek Carr, huge struggle. And, and you guys already mentioned it there. If he can be effective downfield, which he's been in the limited sample size of which he's done that, is throw the ball downfield, he's got two of the best receivers in the game at, at doing that, in Tyrell Williams and Antonio Brown. So um, I think Heath's projection here of – Tyrell Williams just speaks volumes to Derek Carr being a, a very um, streamable option week to week and a steal in dynasty drafts, in my opinion. I've already made a couple of offers to go out and get him. So I think that's another point that we can kind of point uh, our, you know, our projections to and our uh, buy lows to in, in dynasty. So like Derek Carr a lot. All right. So that was a, a nice little recap there of some of Heath's most uh, I guess we'll say controversial rankings there. Um, we're going to go ahead and kick it over to our next segment here. And this is another awesome uh, piece of work that Heath has put out on uh, CBS here, looking at his 2019 fantasy football uh, opportunity index. So Heath, before Ooh. we get into the details, yes, it sounds so fancy. Before we get into the Science. details, just give us a little bit of a rundown of kind of what this in entails so our listeners have a better idea. Yeah, it's not near as fancy as it sounds. It's very, <laughs> very, very basic. But yeah, I just looked at the for running backs, the targets plus rush attempts that have been vacated from the previous year for receivers and tight ends. 
just the targets that had been vacated and uh, who might fill those roles. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and, you know, our listeners definitely should be checking this work out. It's, it's an easy way to look at, you know, like you said, Heath, the void that is left behind by, by other members of the team that have left. So we're going to go ahead and tweet out this link. Uh, follow us at redshirtsffpod. We'll, we'll post that for you all to check out. Uh, but we're going to get into a couple of interesting topics here in the article and some of the most, um, I think, debated backfields and wide receiver cores heading into the 2019 season. So let's kick it off with one that, you know, people have been talking about for a while here. It's the Kansas City Chiefs running backs opportunities, which you report here in your article is, is 305 opportunities here. Um, give us a rundown on what you expect to happen there in the Chiefs backfield. Yeah, I, I think, and I, and I wrote this in the article, This getting this right might be the most profitable move in fantasy football this year because Andy Reid historically does not have his running backs share the load. And he historically produces number one running backs. You've got Andy Reid as your head coach. You've got Patrick Mahomes as your quarterback. You, you, one of you guys might be a number one running back. Uh, I, I <laughs> My think on right Okada. now, <laughs> Damian Williams has to be viewed as the favorite. I don't think he's probably quite as much of a favorite as uh, the difference in ADP would have you believe. Because, yes, Carlos Hyde last year looked like a toad, a slug. And he's not. I've always liked Hyde. He didn't look quite the same last year, but he has shown in the past an ability to catch the ball. And what did Damian Williams look like the year before he got to Kansas City? He looked like like the number four running back in the offense coming into last year. I yeah. don't know how. Like we joke a lot on Twitter and around about how little running back talent matters. Probably too much. I don't know how much it matters. If you get 280 touches in this offense, you're going to be a number one running back. And both Hyde and Darwin Thompson are just exceptional values, if only as lottery tickets. Yeah, I think that that is a perfect recap of of what fantasy owners should be thinking about that backfield going into it. You know, you can plant your flag one way or the other, but when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter who it is. I mean, whoever it is, like you said, whether it's uh, Carlos Hyde, Damian Williams, Matt Okada, they're going to produce in that backfield. (laughs) And and I want one of these back. So same kind of situation as um, we talked about the Niners backfield. You know, I want one of these guys leaving my draft, like you said, especially if it's that lottery ticket. I fall in the camp that it's probably Damian Williams' job to lose going into training camp, but we see injuries all the time, and we see things change all the time, especially if, if Hyde shows something there early on. Um, Okada, what do you think about that backfield situation? Well, first of all, I would just like to point out that while I might get 10 yards on my first rush (laughs) for the Chiefs, I would then get tackled and probably snapped in half, considering (laughs) I weigh like 160 pounds with 15 pounds of pads and helmet. Uh, As far as the Chiefs, though, I mean, I've I've said this, and I think it's kind of my, my, if you will say, plant your flag opinion on the way this breaks down is I think that Damian Williams is going to get the first shot because he had the shot last year and did at least adequately, if not very well with it for the chiefs at the end of the year and into the playoffs and Carlos Hyde is a new face. So I think he's going to get the first crack. And because of what you guys have both touched on with how effective and efficient this offense is for running backs and Andy Reid, what he gets out of his guy I don't think Damian Williams is ever going to look poor enough 
that they'll be like, oh, man, we got to put him on the bench and bring Sluggy McSlug Carlos Hyde in here to give <laughs> take a shot. And Sluggy anytime McSlug. that Carlos Hyde... <laughs> yes. Uh, listen, Heath's words, not mine. <laughs> anytime that, uh, that Hyde does come in, I'm sure he'll look decent, but I don't think that they're going to move away from Damien because I don't think Damien's going to have a poor enough showing at any point, really, to lose the job. Yeah, I think I think we're all in agreement on that one. Let's go ahead and kick it off to the next uh, running back opportunities that are that are there in a new team here with the Chicago Bears. They've got 280 opportunities heading into the season. Now, Heath, you looking at your PPR rankings have Tariq Cohen quite a bit higher than their new running back, David Montgomery. Um, give us a breakdown of what you see happening there as far as their backfield situation. Yeah, I think a lot of people are surprised maybe at how much work Jordan Howard got last year <laughs> because we all, like, he was, speaking of Sluggy McSlug. Um, yeah, he's the definition of that. <laughs> I don't necessarily think Cohen sees a lot more work in the run game, and I do have Montgomery ranked higher in non-PPR than I do Cohen. Um, so I do think there's a great opportunity. In fact, they, they've said as much for one of these two backs, either Montgomery or Mike Davis, to take the lead back job and be a better version of Jordan Howard. I actually like Montgomery at his cost better than I like any other running back in this class in terms of 2019 value. And I think he has a pretty good chance to be a uh, top 24 running back. Yeah, I'm a huge David Montgomery fan. Um, Not so much from what I expected from him coming into the draft, but what I now expect from him, especially in redraft, going into this season on this team with this opportunity that you're talking about. And I mean, if you just go look at Jordan Howard and what he's done with these opportunities, 2016, he was the RB 10, 2017, he was the RB 12, 2018, he was the RB 20. This is all in half PPR. And of course he's one guy who varies quite a bit from one format to the other. So that's why I split it in the middle. But the point is, this is the range you're talking about, somewhere between RB10 and RB20. I don't see there I don't honestly see a world where David Montgomery falls far, if at all, outside of that range, especially since I think he's a better, more versatile version uh, or of Jordan Howard, or just a better running back in general. So with that kind of opportunity and the talent that he has at least to be able to produce close to, if not exactly, what Jordan Howard did, I think you're looking at an RB2. Almost guaranteed. Yeah, my only hesitation is I do think Mike Davis is the kind of running backs that coaches like more than they should. Mm. And I'm a little bit snake bit by the uh, Chris Carson, Rashad Penny happenings of uh, 2018. So I would like to see them get to camp and Montgomery really show that he is the best back for that job. Were you all in on, on Penny in 2018? I was I was pretty high on Penny and and I still think there's a chance like he he was a better he had some of the same problems as Ronald Jones he just could not figure out how to play in the NFL at the first half of the season I, I think there's a chance he makes that leap this year Heath I knew we were best friends I am probably one of the biggest <laughs> Rashad Penny truthers there are and Okada can attest to that so I hope you are correct there. Let's go ahead and kick it over to actually the wide receiver position. Um, we've talked a little bit about Big Ben already. We've talked a little bit about what Antonio Brown leaving does for the Steelers' offense. We don't really need to talk about Juju. He's going to be fantastic. But talk to us about the wide receiver opportunities there in Pittsburgh with A.B. gone. Yeah, there are 183 wide receiver targets. They've got most of the receivers back, but one of them got a lot of targets. Uh, I mean, 
I would put right now James Washington as the favorite, at least my favorite, to be the number two wide receiver there in Pittsburgh. He's going to have to make an improvement on on what he did last year in terms of route running and understanding the offense. But I, I really expect him to make that improvement. And if he can, the key here is for one guy to grab the number two job and not three of them share it because you've got Dante Moncrief, Deontay Johnson there as well. If Washington can be the guy that grabs that, he's probably looking at at least 110 targets, maybe more, and that could push him into a borderline wide receiver two range. That sounds very nice. (laughs) (laughs) There were a lot of ifs, though. Yes, there are a lot of ifs, but for a guy going where he is, um, and I I think I heard recently, I believe it was Jake Seeley talking about this. I'm not, I can't 100% say that, so don't quote me on this quote, but whoever it was was talking to Mike Tomlin last year and Tomlin said that he was as excited about the James Washington pick when they made it as he was the previous year about Juju now I'm not obviously saying that James Washington is the next Juju and I don't even think that Juju is going to translate into the AB role and so that therefore there is a Juju role I think it's going to be pretty different breakdown it might be much more similar to previous years where you had AB and then a second guy like Martavis Bryant or uh, whoever else. Um, but to your point, someone's going to get targets besides Juju unless he gets 200 plus, which is less out of the realm of possibility than it typically is. <laughs> but whoever He's does get that, that all year. <laughs> <laughs> Whoever gets that second share of targets, there's no way he's not fantasy relevant. And there's no one besides Juju going in a fantasy relevant draft position right now. So I would just throw darts at at maybe both of those guys, uh, Moncrief and Washington, maybe even the rookie Deontay Johnson, and see what you come up with. Yeah, and before we move on to the next segment, Heath, I just want to ask you one quick question. You know, we, we talked about the wide receivers. Where do you fall on Vance McDonald? Does he pick up some of those targets? And if so, is it significant enough to make him a top eight or nine tight end like most people are wanting him to be this season it, it's not very difficult like the bar is so low to be a top eight or nine tight end in the nfl right now <laughs> that i certainly think it's possible i have fallen into the vance mcdonald trap more times than i would like to admit if he could stay healthy and play 16 games yes i absolutely think he could be a top eight tight end awesome okada go ahead and kick us off in the next segment All right, so this is a completely off-the-rails segment that we decided to put together with Heath because if you listen to or follow anything really that Heath does on Twitter or in podcasts, you'll learn quite quickly that he's quite a beer connoisseur, if there is such a thing. Maybe there's even a specific name for that. Is there a specific name for that? I like beer. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. That's good. That's all we need to know. Uh, So we have a special beer slash fantasy segment set up. It's a good day to be anywhere. I'm going to take uh, I, I, I apologize. Right I should have told you. I, I don't think I've ever told any other podcast this before. But I actually, Ooh. my brother uh, was a music producer and musician in Chicago and uh, worked at a studio. And I went up there for a vacation one year and actually recorded a song about beer. Oh, that would have been perfect. And, uh, but it's <laughs> the public has never heard it. It could have Hold been on. unveiled here tonight, but I, I don't Hold think I'm on. ready for that yet. Okay, you don't have a file somewhere that you would send us to drop. Oh, I certainly instead? do have a file so- somewhere, but it ends there before the but that you would send us. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fair enough. 
All right, so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to throw you some names, and we may not make it through all the names we'd hoped to because we're running short-ish on time. But I'm going to throw you some names, and Heath is going to throw back a beer comp for these players. We Betts and I have little to no idea what the context is going to be or why he's going to make the comps, but we just left it up to Heath to decide. So I'm going to name the player. You give me the comp and why. We'll start it off with what I'm assuming has to be a good beer, but we'll find out. Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, obviously the quarterback for the Chiefs. Boulevard Beer is the best brewery in Kansas City. It's also uh, right near my hometown. I've been a Chiefs fan my whole life. And Mahomes in one year looked like maybe the best quarterback ever. I went back to Kansas City recently, had the Boulevard Rye on Rye 6. Now, they've released a Rye on Rye, a Rye on Rye on Rye, a Rye on Rye on Rye on Rye. (laughs) This is the Rye on Rye 6, and I only got to have one because I was only in town for a short period of time. But it was maybe the best beer that they've ever made. So I thought it fit for Patrick Mahomes. I like it. Wow. Yeah, I'm gonna have. We're gonna have to uh, to reach out to these guys and see if they'll send us uh, samples for all this great PR we're giving. Because <laughs> I want to try these now. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, all right, let's head down to a running back. This one's an interesting running back, so I'm really curious about this comp. Kenyon Drake of the Dolphins. So Kenyon Drake has been awesome. The only time that he got a true feature role, and we had to deal with Adam Gase just not releasing him last year giving the ball to frank gore his beer Mm. is the funky buddha a local beer down here in fort lauderdale maple bacon coffee porter (laughs) it is every bit as amazing as it sounds like but you can only get it for a very short period of time because they release it once a year (laughs) is that so that sounds like a, a breakfast beer like breakfast in it a is a breakfast beer, yes. Absolutely. Oh, delicious. I didn't even know there was such a thing as breakfast beer, but I will now be having one with breakfast on the regular. <laughs> uh, all right, let's swing down. This one I'm, I'm curious about because the player is not that interesting. Well, you that, that's his typical moniker, I guess, in fantasy. So Lamar Miller, what do you give him for beer comp? I never, ever go into the store thinking I would like to pick up some yingling. But sometimes you're there and it's like, man, it is so much cheaper than all the other beer. And it's really not that bad. Everybody acts like it's terrible, but it's really pretty fine, especially if it gets volume. Heath, I got, I got to <laughs> jump in here. I'm a Pennsylvania guy, which is where this beer is from. I grew up about an hour from the brewery. Um, so Yingling for me is a taste of home every time I get back into the mid-Atlantic region. Um I like Yingling a lot, especially for the price. Like it's just so affordable. It gets the job done. Lamar Miller is exactly that in fantasy football. I love this comp. <laughs> and I believe it's the uh, oldest oldest operating brewery in America. Yeah, that's correct. There you go. Still up and running. I'm a, I, I'm getting a little bit salty about the lack of good California breweries on this list, but maybe the one will show up. I'm not sure. All right, let's head down to another wide receiver, Mr. Keenan Allen of the Los Angeles, not San Diego, Chargers. What do you got? Well, and because he's a Los Angeles, not San Diego Charger, uh, Stone is your good California beer. The there we uh, go. Ruination Double IPA, fantastic beer. I love it. But it's pretty strong, and you are a little bit scared you're going to get ruined. And with Keenan Allen's injury history, you feel that way even when you steal him in the third round. <laughs> 
I love the thought That's about right. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) This is one that I've actually had, and it definitely does pack a punch. So, all right. A couple more here. Jarvis Landry, now on the Cleveland Browns. What do you got here? Uh, This is not actually a a, a brand of beer. It's just a style of beer that is now um, going out of uh, I don't think anybody's going to make them anymore because there are several states, uh, Utah, Kansas, Colorado, Oklahoma, that you could only sell 3.2 beer in grocery stores. And it's from back in like the 70s when they used to let 18-year-olds drink beer, but they could only drink 3.2 beer. And I think all the states this year finally stopped that loss. They're allowing people to sell full beer in grocery stores. But the 3.2 just made me think of uh, Jarvis Landry's yards per reception. Oh, (laughs) that's awesome. Oh, I thought that was maybe where it was going, but I didn't know if it was going to be that savage. (laughs) Oh, got him. All right, let's round it out. We got another chief here. Two chiefs made the list. Unsurprising, Mr. Homer, but uh, Travis Kelsey, what's the beer? I am a true homer when it comes to beer as well, and the Boulevard Bully Porter, and there's an exclamation point after the bully, make sure you get that mm. part right, is, uh, it's my, like, I've been drinking this beer for a decade, it's it's easily my favorite long-term beer, and it's also a little bit abrasive, like, it's a porter, but it's got a lot of hops, kind of like an IPA, and Travis Kelsey's a pretty abrasive dude, but also awesome, so I thought it fit. I like it. I, love I like that it. Stuff. That's great, man. Wow. That was gold. Podcast gold, fantasy gold, beer gold. I need to make a run real quick to get some new beers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's close it out with a quick mailbag. We got a few questions that came in on Twitter, so we'll we'll run through these and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, from Jason Beck, they call me dad on Twitter. Is oh so news relevant? Is Buck Allen fantasy relevant now that he is signed with the Saints, or is he merely a Camara handcuff? So we kind of already said that he wasn't fantasy relevant himself, but the second part of the question is interesting. With Latavius Murray also there, Heath, what do you think if Camara were to go down? How would that shake out? Uh, we would finally get to find out if running back matters. <laughs> because like can we put situation. Buck Allen in the Saints offense and can he average more than three yards per carry or six yards per catch? <laughs> uh probably not. Uh, I wish we had Kent on because Kent is a huge Buck Allen truther. We might have to get him to tweet something about this. <laughs> he he loves his analytics or something. I don't know. What a nerd. Uh Bets, <laughs> any strong feelings about Buck Allen? Uh no. Well, I will say though, okay. however, if if Kamara would go down with injury, um, I think Buck Allen would be the guy to own in PPR formats. I think Latavius Murray's role would probably remain largely unchanged. And I think, obviously, for Buck Allen, he would go from being completely, um, you know, not even on our radar in fantasy to definitely being a top waiver wire pickup. So definitely keep an eye on that if there is an injury to Kamara. So many eight catch for 39-yard games. (laughs) Hey, that's double digits in PPR, man. (laughs) All right, next Twitter question comes in from Nate Hamilton, big, huge friend of the show, Dominate FF on Twitter. Follow him. Great follow. Hey, Heath Okada and Betts, name a late-round player you will own a ton of shares of in 2019 and why. Heath, let's start with you. Ah, is it cheating if I just say D.D. Westbrook and I I already told you why? Does he count? I don't think it is because I think that's a great pick. 
So I'll go with D.D. Westbrook because I think the uh, Jags are going to throw the ball more, and I think he'll be their best receiver. Seems legit. Bets? Yeah, my guy that I'm going to take late everywhere is Kiki QT. Um, And the main reason is I do not believe in Will Fuller's health. We've talked about it. You know, the ACL plus the history of the hamstring injuries is recipe for disaster for a guy like Will Fuller who relies so much on his top-end speed to get down the field and beat defenders um, deep. It's going to be a rough start, I think, for Will Fuller, and I think QT is going to be a guy who steps right in and produces. He's currently going as the wide receiver 49 in half PPR um, ADP right now. Again, it's it's early. Things could change, but when you look at what he did last year, he was pretty impressive in the games that he was actually healthy, almost 83% uh, catchable target rate. So I like Kiki QT. I think he's a, a good player, and we've seen him be effective even with Fuller in the lineup. So for me, I'm grabbing him everywhere as like my wide receiver five or six uh, in drafts. Solid. All right, I'm going to take the guy that, well, depending on what ADP you look at, my guy comes in at one wide receiver 50 on Fantasy Pros ADP, so right behind yours. That's Geronimo Allison. I don't know how he's going this late. It makes no sense to me. I'm not entirely sure how the entirety of the wide receiver core is going to shake out in Green Bay, but I feel fairly to very confident that Geronimo Allison is going to be the number two behind Devontae Adams. And you cannot be the number two for Aaron Rodgers over the course of the full season and not be productive. He is going to be... Uh, I don't want to say a lock wide receiver three, but I don't. I, I'm very confident he falls in the wide receiver three range, and I think he has wide receiver two upside. If you look at just the four, first four weeks of last season before he got injured, these were his PPR fantasy point finishes: seventeen point nine, twelve point four, fifteen point six, fourteen on the dot. He did not have less than sixty-four yards in any of those games, and he had two touchdowns over that span. So he was smoking when he was playing, and then injuries kind of derailed his 2018. But I love Geronimo Allison. I would draft him a lot earlier than that and actually have in a couple recent mocks. So give me, give me some Geronimo. Geronimo! I was just going to say, that's the best part of drafting him because as soon as you hit the draft button, especially if you're in a live draft with your friends, you can just scream, Geronimo! And it's it's so, so fun. Ah, oh, love it. All right, last question and last bit of the show here. This one comes in from Kevin Galusha at Kevin underscore Galusha on Twitter. This is a very interesting one. I like this. What deep dynasty stashes do you have either from the last few years or from this year's rookie class? And then he goes on to tell us a little story about how he added Dylan Cantrell from the Chargers, who I can honestly say I have never heard of before. (laughs) So this is deep, deep. Uh, let's start it with you again, Heath. You got any dynasty stashes that stand out? Uh, I don't know if they're gonna if they stand out yet, but I'm still holding on to Josh Reynolds. I have a little bit of uh, Dion Kane for the Colts, who I think is uh, finally healthy. And then I'd really like to see Hayden Hurst get through training camp healthy and see if he can become the number one tight end in that offense. I seem to recall you being a big Hayden Hurst truther last year. I was, and I'm not accepting defeat because he was hurt so much. Oh, 100%. Plus, he's a rookie tight end. You can't really expect that much, right? Right. All right. And I, I really like the Deion Kane one, too. I, I might have used that for mine, but now it's been stolen. So, uh, Betts, what do you got while I think of another one? <laughs> yeah, for sure. A couple of guys that came to mind when I read this question uh, were DJ Chark, who we've talked about the Jaguars uh, wide receiver core a little bit. You know, he was a guy that was taken relatively high in last year's draft. Um, he could step up in year two. I like Trey Quinn a lot for the Redskins. He's getting some buzz as their slot receiver. 
I like my, Matt Lacoste as a sneaky add as a as a deep tight end, deep uh, deep rosters for the New England Patriots. Everyone is talking about Ben Watson, but he's suspended for four games, and we still don't really know what Austin Safarian Jenkins is. Matt Lacoste was known for his catch pass catching abilities in college, uh, and we know that there's a lot of opportunity to go around there. And then the last one is Rashard Higgins uh, is is kind of a guy no one's talking about in that Browns offense as a potential wide receiver three for them. So I think he's a sneaky ad as well. Nice. All right. Uh, let's see. I'm going to go with Justin Watson as one of my guys. A slot receiver, profiles as a slot receiver for the Buccaneers, did absolutely nothing last year in his rookie season. He was a fifth-round draft pick. But Adam Humphreys is now gone. That offense is going to be, in my opinion, high-flying, from a, especially from a passing standpoint uh, under Bruce Arians. And they're, they don't necessarily have a slot guy at this point. Deshaun Jackson also gone. Obviously, you've got Evans and Chris Godwin, and then O.J. Howard at the tight end position. But Justin Watson might be the number three receiver on that team right now. And we saw Adam Humphreys have produ- had productive games last year in that role. So I'm interested to stash Justin Watson. And then... I don't know how deep this guy really is, so I'm not sure how much he counts, but it's a it's a this year rookie, Raquel Armstead. We talked about it in our rookie breakdown at the very end as a sleeper. So I feel like if he's nearly undrafted or a sleeper uh, in rookie drafts, I feel like I can count him as a stash. Um, but I do not trust Leonard Fournette's lower half. Uh, <laughs> and if well it deteriorates... <laughs> Yeah, if it deteriorates any further than it has, or if that team in general gets fed up with Fournette, or Quill Armstead seems to be the guy that they've now drafted to potentially back him up. So he could even have run as soon as this year if there was any injury to Fournette. But long term, I also like potentially his outlook in this offense. All right. Well, that was a very enjoyable show. Thank you so much, Heath, for coming on and for those fire segments, especially the beer one. I mean, that was the best. I think we can all agree. Uh, yeah, if you ever want me to come on the podcast, just say that you want me to talk about beer. <laughs> Done. There you go. Pro tip to all the other podcasters listening. Uh, Bet, you want to wrap us up? Absolutely, yes. Heath, just tell the people one more time uh, where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah, on Twitter, it's at Heath Cummings, SR. And you can find me at CBSSports.com. You can find our podcast, Fantasy Football Today, Fantasy Baseball Today, anywhere you get your podcasts. Awesome. I would definitely recommend uh, following Heath, especially on Twitter. If you want to know what he is drinking uh, over the weekend, he will definitely let you know. Uh, a fun follow for sure. Good friend of the show. Heath, thank you so much again for coming on. Uh, Okada, tell the people where they can find you. At Matt Okada on Twitter or uh, on Total Access in the background in the research section. <laughs> <laughs> if you're lucky, you'll see him out there. And of course, you all can yeah. find me on Twitter at the Fantasy PT. Check us out. We are everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, redshirtsfantasyfootball.com. Until next time, we are the Redshirts. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Red Shirts Fantasy Football Podcast. Hit us up on Twitter at RedShirtsFFPod and check out our website, redshirtsfantasyfootball.com.